0: The Salton Sea is a gigantic lake in the middle of the desert. A mind-boggling amount of water where there isn't supposed to be any.
1: It is majestic. It really is. It looks like one of the Great Lakes, I think. Or I imagine I've never been to the Great Lakes.
0: The edge of the sea blurs against the horizon. If you squint, you can see mountains in the distance.
1: If you go down there during the fall when the birds come and they're really showing up in numbers down in the wetlands, it's absolutely gorgeous. But at the same time, I carry my coconut-scented sunscreen that I can put under my nostrils so that if the wind shifts and it's a bad day and there's um, sulfide burps, uh, you can cope with the smell of rotten eggs. As you get closer to the shore, you can see that it's the dead fish the stench, the remnants of development.
0: I'm Sarah Wyman, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we visit the Salton Sea, a ghostly lake in the Californian desert. We hear the story of how humans desperate for water created this lake, the size of the city of Los Angeles, and then how their thirst turned toxic. More after this. What does water mean in California specifically?
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, water, water is everything.
0: This is Todd Luce.
1: I mean, that's such a, it's, <laughs> it's a big question. Um, and I grew up in Southern California and dinner table conversations often revolved around the concept of water. I mean, I think it's like, that, uh, it's like that line from the movie Chinatown, right? Like, he has water on his brain. Like, I think maybe if we grow up here, we all have water on the brain, right?
0: Todd is an historian at the University of California, Riverside. He studies how pioneers colonized the Californian desert and how their thirst for water, power, and money clashed to create disaster. And Todd says there is no greater example of that dynamic than the Salton Sea. The Salton Sea has existed for thousands of years, or at least a version of it has. It's located in this big, natural salt basin west of the Colorado River. And that means in years when the Colorado River flooded, tributaries would carry that water downhill into the Salton Basin. Some years, it was enough water to make a pretty big, salty lake. Other times, the basin was completely dry for decades at a time. But ultimately, nature was in charge of the plumbing system here, and everything was fine. For thousands of years, native people lived in balance with the water's natural ebb and flow. But then, in the mid 1800s, Anglo American colonizers rolled up. Lots of them were coming to California for the gold rush in hopes of striking it rich. They ended up settling along the coast and in the Central Valley. But even back then, the land was expensive, and most people did not strike it rich. So for the ones who couldn't afford to start citrus farms in Orange County or ranches in Santa Barbara, they looked further inland. They made the desert their home.
1: So I think if you look at the initial wave of people, remember, this was sort of the, one of the last really completely undeveloped areas. There wasn't a lot of water. You know, most of the stories that we have of that desert were generally people that had barely made it through on the skin of their teeth and almost died. Right. And so this was kind of seen as the last frontier.
0: These settlers knew to make this land livable, they needed to get water. At this point, imagine dollar signs popping up in the eyes of business magnates across the East Coast. Lots of them had never been to the Californian desert. The landscape was totally unfamiliar to them. But they knew about this huge pent-up demand for water. So they invested in irrigation companies in the desert. And these companies started selling water stocks to the locals, promising water to anyone who wanted it.
1: And it turns out that once business really got going, they're selling way more stock than they can possibly supply for the valley.
0: And that might have worked out if it hadn't been for the silt. In 1901, irrigation companies started building canals. Kind of like the natural tributaries, they connected the Salton Basin to the Colorado River. But every year, silt clogged them up. The settlers weren't getting their water, and the irrigation companies had to spend more money than they'd planned redigging their canals. So after a couple of years of this, an engineer named Charles Rockwood Decided what he needed was no measly canal. He dug a channel 50 feet wide, six to seven feet deep, a straightaway from the Colorado River to the basin. No dams, no gates, no nothing to control the flow of water. At first, it worked. The farmers got their water. But in 1905, it rained. A lot. 1905 and 1906 ended up being the wettest years ever recorded in the Southwest. The Colorado River flooded. And forget tributaries. Charles Rockwood had unrolled a red carpet for the river across the desert. Slowly at first, water rushed into the Salton Basin. The water level climbed and climbed until even the tips of telegraph poles were underwater. And even the biggest engineering companies in the whole country couldn't figure out how to stop it.
1: The Southern Pacific Railroad, which was, I mean, it probably had more resources than the federal government. It basically hires armies of laborers. It builds tracks down to the break. You have just thousands of tons of rocks and timber and thing being brought down there and dropped into these brakes they actually built special train cars where the sides would open up and the boulders would come in
0: and so their tactic here to stem the flow is basically just to dump stuff (laughs) in in the way and hope that they create enough of a block that it can't get through
1: that's what they did
0: Meanwhile, as much as 110,000 cubic feet of water was rocketing through the channel every second. By the time the engineers managed to stem the flow a casual 18 months later, whoops, there was a sea in the middle of the desert, where there was not supposed to be a sea that big. 35 miles long, 43 feet deep, again covering an area the size of the city of Los Angeles.
1: The way that history has framed this is this grand accident and that the people that fought the river back in the Imperial Valley, the language that you'll often see used is um, red-blooded Americans, red-blooded engineers fighting nature, right? But framing as an accident sort of let Rockwood off the hook for this (laughs) um, lack of expertise.
0: Rockwood went on to work on other development projects in the Imperial Valley. And as for the Salton Sea... In the wake of his huge miscalculation, cities flooded, businesses were destroyed, and people were displaced. But then something interesting happened. The new lake opened up a whole new set of possibilities for investors.
1: And another kind of water has been added to the desert that was never planned, never dreamed of. Recreation water, the vast Salton Sea. You already have entrepreneurs saying, hey, let's build some boats, let's get some land down by the shore, let's build, like, bathing huts and maybe a dance pavilion and these, like, sort of grand schemes. A sea in the desert with its wide sandy beaches, no tides or dangerous undercurrents.
0: And a wave of new settlers followed them. In the 19-teens and 20s, returning World War I veterans started staking claims on the shores of the Salton Sea, along with other opportunists who expected the property value to skyrocket.
1: And apparently it was pretty unruly. Like, you had folks living in tents and carrying guns and, you know, making sure that their claims aren't jumped kind of thing.
0: In the following decades, the Salton Sea had its ups and downs. A lot of the water evaporated, and since it was now cut off from the Colorado River, the lake didn't get filled up with fresh water again. Some of the settlers and investors cut their losses and left. But by the late 1940s and early 50s, things were starting to turn around, Agriculture was booming in the area, and the runoff from all the farms was funneling into the Salton Sea. The water level was on the rise again. At the same time, commercial fishermen and the California Department of Fish and Game were trying to start up a fishing
1: industry. And it was sort of this shotgun approach where they're just throwing all the fish into the lake. Truckloads of things like oysters, clams, salmon, like they're throwing salmon in there and it's just almost all of it just immediately dies or dies within a couple weeks. Because you have so many birds down there now, the birds just eat all of the fish.
0: By the late 50s, hundreds of bird species were living along the coastline of the Salton Sea, including flamingos. And in the end, they managed to find a species of fish that could survive in the lake. The Salton Sea started to become increasingly popular with sport fishers. From there, the proverbial floodgates were open. More tourists and more developers rushed in. They built resorts and beachfront homes. They water skied. They even started a yacht club. I've read, you know, that there were these motorboat races happening. The Beach Boys showed up.
1: Today, the Salton Riviera, beside the Blue Salton Sea, is the place for you to take charge of your future. At the Salton Riviera, there is never a let-up in progress. Yeah, it sounds like it became
0: like a real outpost of this kind of extravagant Hollywood culture that was happening on the coast.
1: Yes, Uh, and that was pretty short-lived.
0: While the beach Boys and everyone else was water skiing and hula hooping with the flamingos at the yacht club, something was happening under the lake's surface. The agricultural runoff that was replacing the evaporating water was full
1: of chemicals water flows downhill and everything else that's in that water, whether it be sewage or pesticides or salt, that all flows into the lake as well and there's mm. You can't change that ecology. You can't get rid of the salt.
0: As the Salton Sea slowly evaporated, it left behind this super gross, undiluted, pesticide salt water, getting saltier by the minute. The Salton Sea has gotten 66% saltier in the past 16 years. Today, some parts are more than twice as salty as the Pacific Ocean. The water also contains chemicals in concentrations that are dangerous to humans and animals. On one day in 1999, an estimated 7.6 million tilapia in the sea died in a single day. The beaches are littered with dead fish and other animal remains that have curdled up in the sun. More than 150 of the 400 bird species who used to live by the sea are gone. Todd has seen this happen firsthand. While he was doing his research, he convinced a friend to take him out on the lake in a fan boat.
1: And we spent a lovely morning gathering ducks that had perished during a avian cholera epidemic. And we filled multiple trash bags with these, right? Because so you are all... out
0: there just pulling the corpses of dead birds out of the water and putting them in trash bags.
1: Yeah, and some most of them were dead, but some were still alive and we had to dispatch oh. those, you know. Um, I... It was eye-opening to be out there. Uh, The smell was, it smelled like something that had been aging for decades.
0: Those who could left the Salton Sea a long time ago. The Yacht Club shut down in 1984. It's not safe to swim in the lake anymore, much less water ski on it. But people still live there, many of them low-income, many of them Latinx and indigenous. They breathe in the toxic dust left behind by the sea as it evaporates from the playa. 35% of children in the area have breathing problems. There are abandoned buildings. Over the years, the lake has pulled away from the sandy beaches, leaving docks and boat ramps sitting uselessly dozens of feet away from the waterline. There are dried-out, dead fish lying around on the cracked lake bed. And when you visit the Salton Sea... It's tempting to lean into this whole wasteland vibe. But Todd says that's dangerous.
1: If there's one thing I would want people to think about, I I would say don't just see it as this sort of, this apocalyptic spectacle, because I think that that misses so much of what is really unique and, and, and oftentimes lovely about the Salton Sea. Because if you just see it as this sort of really degraded example of you know, the fall of human ambition, then maybe it's easy to say, well, I don't really need to care about this place. And I think that that's that's part of the problem.
0: So this is a place that historically human intervention has messed up in in a lot of ways. And I know that there are new suggestions coming up about ways to fix some of the problems or to reclaim the Salton Sea, to bring in fresh water or to mine it for lithium and use that money to help. And my question is, do you think that that this place would be better off if humans left it alone, or do you think there are things that we can and should be doing to help the situation?
1: It's it's a really good question, and it's one that I've asked myself. Right, like, is there going to be sort of a a panacea for this lake? I mean, I don't know, but do I think that we should pack it in? No, I, I mean, I think I think you don't like it, but you have to keep doing it because you sort of you broke it. Now you got to keep buying it.
0: Thank you so much to Todd Luce for taking the time to talk with us for this episode. Our podcast is a co production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. The production team includes
1: Doug Baldinger Dylan Thress
0: Camille Stanley
1: Manolo Morales
0: Camille Mojica Chinanya Onike Maddie Weinberg Tracy Samuelson
1: John Delore Peter Clowney
0: Our technical director is
1: Casey Holford
0: This episode was sound designed by Chris Naka and mixed by
1: Luce Fleming
0: Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tindall. I'm Sarah Wyman Thanks for listening
1: Witness Docs from Stitcher.